0: Thank you for downloading this episode of a History of Central Florida podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the history, experiences, and stories of Central Florida and the Orange County Regional History Center. I am Katie Kelly, and I will be your host for today's episode titled, Rum Runner. When we think of the 1920s, we can easily conjure the romantic images of speakeasies and jazz music. We imagine flappers dancing the Charleston, and liquor flowing freely despite the looming threat of police raids. In fact, we may even be inclined to idealize the organized crime rings that made big business out of defying the 18th Amendment, which prohibited the sale, manufacture, and transportation of alcohol in America. So how then, given these restrictions, was the abundance of alcohol available? One major source of illegal alcohol came from Rum Runners, who smuggled beer and liquor into America from other countries. These Rum Runners, oftentimes romantic figures in contemporary accounts, were really global denizens who circumvented federal laws as well as international waters to transport illicit goods from country to country. Today we are considering two artifacts owned by the famous Rum Runner, Captain Bill McCoy. The first is a barometer from the Henry L. Marshall, which was the first schooner used in his smuggling enterprise. Second, McCoy's binoculars, which he used aboard the Marshall, and also his favorite ship, the Arethusa. Through these items, we can not only tap into the history of one of Prohibition's most successful bootleggers, but also gain a better understanding of an important aspect of Florida's history as a maritime world. Bill McCoy has become something of a local legend in the Daytona Beach area. We asked Dr. Leonard Lempel from Daytona State College to tell us about him.
1: Bill McCoy uh, came to uh, Holly Hill in uh, around 1900 uh, from Syracuse, New York, and that's where he was born. And um, he and his brother uh, had a boat business in Holly Hill where they would uh, very uh, wealthy northern visitors, uh, you know, give them trips around the uh, uh, around the coast and in the intercoastal inter- waterway, and that's how they were making a living, kind of scraping by, uh, not particularly doing too well, and then uh, 1920, of course, the, uh, the Prohibition Amendment was uh, passed, and Bill and his brother Ben, who would running this business decided, wow, you can make a lot of money. (laughs) Uh, Instead of ferrying these passengers, we could uh, uh, start uh, transporting uh, liquor and uh, and make a bundle of money. So, uh, you know, Bill was, I think, the brains behind this operation. He kind of, uh, you know, his his brother was competent, helped him, but it seemed like Bill McCoy uh, was the one who had this uh, idea that they could turn this into a real money making operation and uh there there's a lot of myths surrounding it and uh Bill McCoy was a very colorful character is very big man very uh very colorful told lots of stories and obviously exaggerated uh a lot of what he did uh, so it's it's a little difficult to separate fact from fiction but uh it's it's quite an interesting story he uh uh, basically, they end up going uh, uh, off the coast of New Jersey and New York City in what was called Rum Row, and uh, this was the base of operations of the, uh, the Rum Runners in the 1920s. And Bill McCoy apparently was the one who coined that name Rum Row uh, and uh, basically established Rum Row, so he was, uh, he was uh, one of the big players in this whole thing.
0: Rum running was an extremely risky venture, but for those, like Captain McCoy, who could run a successful operation, it was also extremely lucrative. The effectiveness of this type of bootlegging is due, in large part, to the way a maritime world operates. Dr. Mark Long of the University of Central Florida explains.
2: What the rum runners represent in some ways that links them to a broader maritime tradition is is fluidity and mobility right and that which is key to understanding you know how maritime worlds are are structured in patterns right and so we have in prohibition an effort by the state to you know decree that this product will not be made and sold within the confines of this piece of land right this sort of this is what states do they control territory the problem for a place like florida in particular which is you know a peninsula jutting into the caribbean with you know innumerable places to uh, to have access to beach and cove and port is that it's almost impossible to to police that or it's very difficult to police that with the amount of shoreline the amount of islands etc uh the the decree that this product cannot you know be bought and sold in this piece of land becomes uh becomes difficult to enforce because of this sort of broader maritime tradition of fluidity now whether it's you know whether it's Pirates early on, whether it's the the illegal slave trade which persists long after the abolition of the of the slave trade in the U.S. in Florida, as it's as slaves are brought in again, surreptitiously, often under cover of night, into you know numerous uh, ports that cannot be policed uh, at all times, uh, or the run runners themselves, or later a marijuana and cocaine runners uh, who are doing the same thing, right? They're, in some ways, they're, this this is a product that is decreed illegal, but there's a market for it. Uh, And someone, many someones, are going to find a way to supply that market. Uh, And it's, you know, in Kansas, it's much easier to police, right? You have, you know, you have roads There are limited ways in and out of the state of Kansas. But in the state of Florida, that's simply not the case. And so, you know, the fluidity of the maritime world becomes uh, a significant enemy to those who would try and prohibit these kinds of products for which there's a market.
0: Because the mobility and fluidity of maritime environments allowed the rum runners to maneuver mostly outside of American jurisdiction, the success of these operations was greatly dependent on geography. In an attempt to curtail the smugglers' ability to circumvent national law, regulations on international trade were heightened. For example, at the beginning of Prohibition, American jurisdiction ended at three miles offshore, and by the time the 18th Amendment was repealed, this area had been increased to 12 miles. Of course, the Rum Runners could not completely avoid American legal restrictions, so the ability to traverse these environments with stealth and speed was also tremendously important. The barometer and binoculars we are examining today were both necessary for McCoy's schooners to safely and swiftly navigate Rum Row in order to avoid detection by the Coast Guard. We asked John Beale of the Florida Maritime Museum to tell us more about the vessels from which these artifacts originate.
3: The Henry Marshall is the first schooner that Bill McCoy purchased to rum run in. Um, Both of them were bought in Gloucester and Massachusetts. They were both uh, originally built as fishing schooners. And when he first went up there, he actually saw the Arethusa and the Henry Marshall. He wound up buying the Henry Marshall because he didn't have the money for the Arethusa. And uh, he went back up a few months later after several successful runs and purchased the Arethusa. I'm sure it was probably a very... Happy day for him, um, as it was a very nice boat. The finish on it was good the Henry Marshall was a solid boat it wasn't um, falling apart or anything, but it wasn't it was a working it was a used working boat, and the Arethusa was in much better condition and so it was really a, a good deal for him when he was able to purchase that boat. It was also faster than the Henry Marshall was um, from what I've come across.
0: Bill also tells us how important the barometer would have been to Bill McCoy.
3: Well, the barometer basically just monitors um, the air pressure. And by keeping an eye on it during the course of the day, you can keep track of changes in air pressure. And what that tells you is it gives you an idea of what the weather is probably going to be doing. Um, As the pressure changes, it may signal that the weather is going to get clear or it may signal that the weather is going to get stormy. From the perspective of a rum runner or any ship captain at that point, especially on a a sailing vessel, you really have to be your own weather station. With a sailboat, you have to change the sails to suit the amount of wind and the direction of wind, and so knowing that a storm is coming in is going to impact how you set your sails. Uh, Also, from the perspective of a smuggler, it can mean that you know that You know, if a storm's coming in, the wind's going to come up, so you might be able to get an extra couple knots of speed and get where you're going faster. Or it may mean that the weather's going to deteriorate, and in that kind of stormy weather with rain and and low visibility that you'll be able to sneak by a Coast Guard boat that otherwise would cause a problem for you. Um, So there's definitely some uses for it, even just specific to rum running.
0: Bill McCoy's binoculars, too, would have been effective in circumventing the authorities.
3: The binoculars, um, you know, everybody, of course, thinks the first thing with binoculars is, you know, you could sit there and you could look out and, and see the Coast Guard and avoid them that way, and that's certainly a part of it, but really the bigger application is in finding where you're going. This is a time that's before GPS. Even radios are a fairly new technology at this time, so you're using fairly, to a modern sense, fairly simple navigation to get where you're going. Now, at the start of it, when these roam roads are three miles out and you can see them from the beach, it's not too hard. But by the end of Prohibition, where they're 12 or 15 miles offshore, being able to locate them means following a very specific compass heading to get you close and then using the binoculars to sort of spot them on the horizon and zero in. The other uh, kind of unique use for them, obviously coming back into shore, you need good navigation as well so you don't run aground or or, uh, miss a channel or anything like that, but there are accounts in Florida, I know, at least for, for a fact in St. Augustine, where a lot of times the rum runners would have somebody on shore working for them who would place a, a lantern, either a colored lantern or a lantern in a specific window in a house, to signal that the Coast Guard was not in the area at the moment and that it was safe to come back in. And so having those binoculars and being able to tell that, you know, it's, the lantern is in the window to the left of the door instead of to the right of the door so that, you know, the coast is clear is a, a pretty useful thing.
0: Despite any efforts made to avoid detection, Bill McCoy was arrested in 1923. He was released after only nine months of imprisonment and returned to Holly Hill, Florida, never resuming his illegal activities. While McCoy was not a drinker himself, he did not agree with the prohibition laws and always took pride in his business as a rum runner, particularly in his reputation as an honest businessman. While nearly 75% of liquor entering the country during prohibition was counterfeit, McCoy's claim to fame was that he always sold genuine product. While in central Florida, Bill McCoy learned of Florida's peculiar place fixed between numerous maritime worlds. In this environment, McCoy and other rum runners became global travelers setting their feet and their ships in international waters out of the jurisdiction of the United States. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of a History of Central Florida podcast. If you would like to see these and other items that tell the history of Central Florida, you can visit the Halifax Historical Museum at 252 South Beach Street, Daytona Beach, Florida, 32114. Make sure to join us for our next episode titled Mosquito Beater.